A very warm welcome to the latest episode of My Middle East, Embrace the Middle East's very own podcast series. I'm Tim Livesey, CEO of Embrace the Middle East, the UK development charity, and I'm hosting this series. Through conversations with people who really know and understand the Middle East, we want to get behind the headlines to explore the real challenges and the everyday realities of life in this complex, beautiful, and sometimes troubled part of the world. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Embrace uh, friend and partner, uh, the Chaldean Archbishop of Erbil uh, in Northern Iraq, Archbishop Bashawada. So Archbishop, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much for this. Thank you. I thought we might begin by going back in time, because a lot of our listeners will be familiar with events in Iraq since 2000, but they will be less familiar with the Iraq of the late 20th century. You were born, I think, in 1969. What was it like to grow up in the 70s, 80s, and then the early 90s? Well, I was born in Baghdad, the capital of, of Iraq. At the time of the 70s, you know, security was tight. I mean, the intelligence of the regime was very, very tough on, on people. Of course, everyone, everything was pro, pro the political regime, pro Ba'ath party. He, I mean, the, the regime started to, I mean, install his people everywhere. They've nationalized the education centers on which the Jesuits, for example, from Boston had a very, very big and important college called Baghdad College that was established in the 1940s. Uh, and a lot of well-educated people, Iraqi people from all, I mean, from all religions were educated in, the, in, uh, in that centers. Uh, we had many Christian schools, many Jewish schools, all of these private educational centers was nationalized in 1974-1975 in, in a message that the government will, will control. By then, I think it was in 1975, the, the regime had a control inside churches. We, every priest knows, for example, that his homily, his activities being watched and monitored by many intelligence, none of which knows each other, so they had to report on these things. Then the war with Iran for eight years, and, uh, you know, uh, the cost of that war was huge. Many, many young people start fleeing the country uh, because they did not want really to be part of, of this military service uh, that you don't know whether you will come back or not alive. And that's why when the, when the regime fallen in 2003, he did not have a lot of supporters as well to defend because these costly wars was, was huge. For the Christians, I would say it's almost 100 years of crisis after another. Many, many Christians were living in, in the northern part of the, of the country and because of the war between and the I mean the war and the clashes between the Kurdish uh, fighters and the central government from the 30s have damaged uh, a lot of our villages. So people were forced to leave their villages, come to the city, big cities, 
And then in the 90s, again, had to go back. And then in 2004, when the churches were attacked, Christians were attacked, attacked in, in the villages. So Christians were always like either a target or collateral damage on, on, on all of these issues. So they did not feel that they, they are really like wanted. I would say one of the positive side, I would say the, the, the education and the uh, up to 1986 was really good. But then because of the wars and then the proxy wars, the, the level of education really went down. And that's why people today uh, are looking almost for private schools, private hospital universities to get. So that was, I mean, that was more or less, I would say, the environment that we live in, what we call state of fear, state of intelligence. Uh, this was the way of controlling the people. Uh, the government was interested more in how to control all of these yeah. diversities, diverse uh, people and groups. We'll come on in a second to, 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 to when you went to, to seminary in Baghdad, but is it fair to say that at that time, and, and perhaps now as well, that, that being a Christian and being Iraqi, both things are important, that, that, that it's a dual identity? Or, or how would you describe that? How did you feel as a, as a young, uh, uh, as a teenager and a young man? Did you feel, I'm a Christian and I'm an Iraqi? Yes, I mean, uh, when, when you tell the people that you are Christian and you are an Iraqi Christian, uh, you, are, you are also holding yourself responsible for uh, a history of almost 2,000 years. You could uh, also tell that history and you are proud of, of that history and also of the contribution of the Christians in the history of, of, of Iraq, we always mentioned that we were always part of creating this peaceful environment with the other who is different. When Islam came in the 8th century to, to our land, our ancestors found a way to coexist with Muslims. Uh, yeah, we, we are always proud of being Christian. And to be honest, also, uh, people would recognize our uh, presence. Uh, I must say that we've, we've heard this hundreds of times, that you Christians are decent people, honest people, trusted people, educated people. There was no, no time that I haven't heard this from uh, not just friends, Muslim friends, from, but from everyone, which tells you that you are needed. Uh, it's just a joke that whenever they used to tell us, yeah, you know, you, are, you Christians are so great people. You've had all these decent uh, values and you are so nice, gentle, peaceful, decent, honest, trusted. Things that you are lacking is that you are not Muslims. We, we, I respond by we have to be uh, really frank about about the situation. Yes, Christian, we were persecuted because we were Christian. From but from the other side, I cannot 
neglect or deny that these voices were there as well. Being aware of all of these hardships and challenges that normal families would, uh, are, are facing every day and try to be uh, as a church with them and among them and keep the church always open to whatever they need. We cannot, of course, give everything, but we try. We'll try. I always tell my priest, we cannot send anyone back without saying, yeah, I promise you I will do my best. For some of, the, some of our listeners will, will not understand uh, the different churches to which Iraqi Christians belong. I wonder if you could just um, say a word about the Chaldean church and the relationship between the church that you grew up in and the Church of Rome. The story goes like this, that uh, there, was, there was a kingdom called Odessa, that's in the southern uh, part of, of Turkey, and her, her king uh, uh, was leopard, and he sent, sent uh, messengers to our Lord Jesus, uh, because he heard about his, the miracles, uh, to to come and heal him or to send a messenger. And when our Lord heard this, he sent uh, one of the 72 disciples and died. And once the king Abjad, that's uh, the fifth in, in Odessa, and he was healed, he, he been baptized. And from there, the Christianity came to southern part of Turkey, to the north part of Iraq, and to Jewish communities, because they, we had some Jewish community presence from the time of the Essenians and Babylonians uh, about Jesus is the Messiah. So uh, the history is telling us that Christianity was in, in that part of the world since the beginning of the second century, end of first century, second century. Uh, because of this political divisions between the Persian Empire and Roman Empire, this church uh, really grew independently. A lot of our liturgies were influenced by the Jewish uh, roots of uh, there, the Jewish community when it comes to prayer, when it comes to weddings. Uh, we have the oldest uh, anaphora in the Eucharist, uh, from the third and fourth centuries, and and they and Mary, but what's unique about the Church of the East, until now we call it Church of the East, is uh, it was a missionary church, so uh, spread all over Iraq, Mesopotamia, up to Qatar. So the church went up to India. With the coming of Islam, there was like a shrinking of uh, of these of this community. Many of these dioceses in the Gulf and the South were really uh, gone. Uh, until 1553, we talk only about Church of the East. Mm -hmm. uh, some people used to call it the Nestorian Church, which is a bit uh, problematic because when it comes to the liturgy and the teaching, it's not Nestorians in, in a sense. By 1553, a group of, of uh, monks will would will travel to Rome and will declare or show that the faith that we share the same faith with the Church of Rome, Rome uh, have called this a new uh, 
group, uh, the Chaldeans of Babylon, the Chaldeans of Babylon. For, so from 1553, there is this group grew uh, separately from the Church of the East. The Church of the East still exists until today. Uh, and Chaldeans became like a majority of the Christians became, uh, I mean, I would not say convert to Catholic because, but they confess that that's mm. what we have is a Catholic faith in, in a sense, because the church, for example, uh, one of the important saints in St. Ephraim from the fourth century, he is a, he's a teacher of the church in, in Rome. Uh, so for example, it was like a misunderstanding of the, of the terms, uh, that that's being used, especially when it comes to Christology in 1994, uh, the patriarch of the Church of the East, even with, uh, with, John, with uh, John Paul II, declared the Christology documents, which shows that, yeah, it's just a difference of, of terms. Today, when we talk about the Chaldean Church, means that we are the Catholic mm-hmm. uh, group of the Church of the East. Church of the East is still uh, has the, uh, the patriarch, the patriarch in, in Erbil, and the Church of the East also in the 60s, uh, uh, upon tribal tribal issues, they divided also the, to the old Church of the East and the Church of the East. So there are no two churches. We have also the uh, Orthodox Church. Uh, we have the Armenian Church, the Malkite Church, uh, the Latin Church also, as uh, also diocese in the whole of Iraq, uh, with also some evangelical uh, churches. So a total of uh, 11 recognized by the Iraqi government. Of course, there is new groups coming. So yeah, we we have uh, really lots of churches around. It's a very rich tapestry, as indeed is the case in other parts of the Middle East. And that's something that I think is 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 important for Christians in the West to understand, the, the richness, the diversity, the plurality of, of the church in the East. I mean, obviously, one of the consequences of the history of the last 20 years, going back to, to the first Gulf War, it has been an erosion of the Christian population in Iraq, with many, many Christians fleeing displaced internally and also going into exile, leaving Iraq uh, for Jordan, for Western countries. Do you just want to say a word about how that has affected the community and how optimistic are you that that, that, that that slowly numbers will regenerate? It isn't a numbers game, but it would just be interesting to hear your reflection on, on the impact this has had. When Saddam's, uh, Saddam's regime lost the war in uh, the Gulf, the first Gulf War, he came back with a very Islamic agenda uh, to show himself that he is the faithful uh, leader to Islamic rules. And uh, this have reflected on the social uh, aspects of life and where, where Christians really, with the sanctions uh, that was upon Iraq, this have really led to people start leaving the country. So the number of the baptism and marriages was always rising until 1993, and then you could, you could see the decline. We had these figures always available. Uh, in 2003, uh, there was hope that the, the change of the regime, uh, uh, democracy will really come up uh, positive. 
but unfortunately, uh, some people have uh, seen that Americans and Europeans came to aid Christians uh, in, in that in that war. Christians were attacked because they are Christians, uh, or would, as I said, collateral damage. Uh, then there was bombing of churches, killing of the people, kidnapping Christians, kidnapping business people, business people. And this had led that some Christians in, in big cities like Baghdad and Mosul left these cities to either north of Iraq, uh, to the old villages, or majority left. Today we say two-thirds of the Christian community left the country. Uh, that's that's 100% true. Uh, some over 60 churches and shrines were, were bombed. Over 1,200 people were, were killed. Many were kidnapped for ransom, not to mention 2014 and ISIS attacking mm. all of these. That's why we speak today about less than 250,000 Christians. Uh, so the, the, the work of the church today is really how to stabilize. Uh, I cannot really work that people will come back. Those who are already in, in Europe, in America, it would be really very hard for them to come. Those who are in Jordan and uh, Turkey and Lebanon, they are waiting to be redeployed again or join their families in this uh, area. So what I will, what I'm with other bishops and priests, uh, sisters are doing is trying, trying to stabilize the situation by uh, offering jobs within these educational and health centers, try to be always available when, especially to the needy, because the, the kind of people that we have now, middle class and lower, the big business people left, the wealthy people left, those people who would really be part of the church to help when it comes to social uh, needs uh, are not there. Yes, they are in the States, in Australia and Canada, and they are big help. I, I, I cannot deny that whenever there is a need and urgency and an emergency call, usually they would support. Many people will, will send like a hundred dollars to, to help a family in Lebanon or in, in Syria or in, in Turkey or, or in Jordan. I know that they do. They do help, but you could you could tell that we, as a as a uh, people or as a church, are left with with the families. And one thing that I mean, probably your listeners would 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 be also least interested to know that the church there, the priest uh, in our area, is a man that they request from him everything. Food, medicine, and if there is a quarrel, uh, social quarrel elsewhere, if there is a need to, with, to go with them to the police station. So I, we, we, we receive all kinds of requests. Uh, we don't have politicians. We don't have, uh, I mean, and you cannot tell them, this is not my business. This is a, this is a security. You cannot tell this. No, no, no. This is not, a, this is not allowed <laughs> for, for you as a, as a uh, no. Because you will say, I try, I will give a call, I will, uh, I, I know a guy, I you have to do something, you have to show them that, yes, you do care. So that's, that's, that's the life 
normally, I would say, the normal day for, for any priest or any sister uh, or any bishop in, in, in Iraq. You, you said before, and, and, and I, know, I know this is something that you feel very strongly, that, that the church has to be there for the people, that um, yeah. the priest and the people are together. And I want, if I may, just to, to, to turn now to, to Pope Francis, who, of course, famously said, I mean, the, the, the pastor must smell of the sheep. Uh, listeners may, may know that in 2021, he paid a pastoral visit to Iraq. So my understanding is that that was a very important moment in the life of the church, particularly after um, the, the, the tremendous destruction um, experienced by people during the time of uh, ISIS. How did people react to the Pope visiting Iraq? All the world usually, uh, they when they when he when they hear or uh, any news or they watch any news coming from Iraq, it's, it's always about war, destruction, mm. bombing, wars. You could tell Shia, Sunni, all of these terrorists, ISIS. For the first time and for four days. I would say all the news uh, and the, the images came of joyful people, joyful presence, dancing. People were really, really thrilled. So he was he was the only one who was able to turn the picture, or to turn the views to something else coming from Iraq. People start also talking about the history of Iraq, about the civilization, about the diversity. So. For, for the outside world, he was really a good messenger for, for Iraq. This is Iraq. This is not just a, a place of war and violence. No, there is a history. There is a civilization. There are also potentials for joy and help. It's there. Mm. They probably, as Iraqis, we are still missing uh, chances that's been given. But... Pope Francis believed that there is something there. For us as a Christians, for I mean, I would say ten days prior to the visit, some forty channels were more than forty channels. Yeah, were interested. Iraqi channels were interested about to talk about Christians, Christianity, history of the Christians, going to churches, uh, viewing some I mean, masses talking, interviewing, actually the last three days was really very tight because everyone wants us to speak and talk. Yeah. Quite a, quite informative, you know, quite informative period for, for all Iraqis about who are the Christians. Muslims were telling, yeah, they were before us. And they started to, to call names about certain important people uh, who who were there, but none of them knew that they were Christians. But they are very influential figures within the history of, of, uh, of Iraq. So you have this kind of, I mean, for the outside world and for the inside uh, to know. Not to speak about the actual days of visits and how important was his message that the Church of Iraq is, is alive, is still a living church, a living community. And this really gave us uh, when you when you have the whole world blessing uh, our our presence, it means something very valuable, uh, very special in, mm. in, 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 in our hearts. 
I think that's that's wonderful to hear, and and I mean he he is he is a great blessing on on the the entire Christian world, and he has an ability to, as you say, change the narrative and to make it more hopeful, more positive. Is it the case that prior to his visit, that the Iraqi Christians felt forgotten by the West, for example, by Christians in the West, something that concerns us greatly at Embrace that people should not forget? Did they feel forgotten? I would say. There were periods of time when when our people will tell us this, yeah, okay, lots of people came to our aid during ISIS attack. Where are they? Because you know, mm. uh, when when people would come and ask for 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 financial help to support them with with an operation or with medicine or with scholarship. Or sometimes they, they don't have even cash money to, to survive. And we tell them, listen, we don't have, the partners are not there anymore because, okay, how comes that they were there during ISIS? Uh, so I, yeah, I, for example, I defend our partners and tell them, listen, there are crises everywhere. And sometimes there are urgency and needs here and there. So Pope's visit was really a good moment also to remind other people that we are still there. There is also a living church there, a living community. And it's good to know that uh, there is still some needs to be addressed. Looking forward, I know you're very active. You've established a university in Erbil uh, and you've recently opened a, a Catholic hospital you talked about the challenge being to stabilize the situation for Christians after a very difficult period. Where would you like things to be in 10 years' time? And how hopeful are you that once the situation, well, first, that the situation can be stabilized, particularly in terms of young people and how they see the future? And assuming that there, that, that is successful, will the church flourish again in Iraq? Uh, I would love to see my young people who are working closely with me uh, leading all of these institutions to take full responsibility where they would be also helping others i with with your help with other partners help are helping them to not just to 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 be uh, well prepared to lead but also well prepared to help in, in, in the future. And I'm sure in, in 10 years you will come and see the young generation that who are working with me. And because the average age of the people who are helping me would be 29, 30 years mm. old, I'm sure they would be, and they are really good and very dedicated uh, young people. And they would be uh, leading all of these institutions and helping others as well. What I'm I'm hoping is to when, when we say to stabilize means at the same time encourage young people to get married, to have children, uh, to, to really grow in, 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 in faith. Of course, for the Christians to come back from the diaspora, this, is, this has uh, other issues like the political and social mm. issues, and this is beyond our, our really way of, of handling the situation, but at least we could do something for those who remain. I to see the missionary church and the missionary uh, Christian uh, alive in, in the future. And that's my, my aim, uh, that it's not just to be there, 
but also to realize that you are there for, for a vocation, for a mission. Thank you very much, Archbishop. I think it's a good note to to uh, to finish on. And if I might say so, um, that missionary church that you're describing is a huge inspiration to to us, to me, to my colleagues at Embrace, to people, to our supporters. Um, we're very conscious that we have a lot to learn from you. It's a great privilege for us to partner you. And I want to thank you very, very much indeed for giving us some of your time. We really pray that your ministry, but also the ministry, the collaborative ministry that you're building with young people, particularly your fellow priests, will, will flourish. We, we, really, we really hope and pray. Thank you. And thank you for, for your partnership and for living the gospel of solidarity. Uh, I do believe that we could not just partner together, but build together. Uh, that's, that's our call. Go and preach the gospel. Thank you for listening to this episode of the My Middle East podcast. To find the show notes as well as other episodes in the series, please go to the podcast section of our website, embraceme.org. And please consider taking a few moments to leave a review or to share the podcast link with a friend. Watch this space for upcoming episodes. 